Today, I'm joined by the super energetic and fabulous launch strategist and community champion, Tonya Kubo. And we will be taking the lid off the whole strategy of online challenges, as well as the broader context of building thriving communities through social media. And if that has you running for the hills, stop, because Tonya is going to share with us how to take control of your digital reputation and grow your audience in fun and authentic ways. Tonya is so insightful and really walks the talk. Welcome to the Leverage Business Podcast, where we believe business success is about working smarter, not harder. Leveraging your time and expertise in ways that fit the digital age you and your clients live in today. I'm your host, Jay Allison, author of Leverage Consulting in the Digital Age and founder of the iSuccess Business Academy. And every week I'll be sharing insights into how you can apply the power of leverage to grow your consulting, coaching, or other expert services business and create true freedom and independent success with mindset, marketing, and money model breakthroughs. Because when you get leveraged, the sky's the limit. Let's go for it. Today, I'm joined by the super energetic and fabulous launch strategist and community champion, my lovely friend, Tonya Kubo. And we will be taking the lid off the whole strategy of online challenges, as well as talking about the broader context of building thriving communities through social media. And if that has you running for the hills, stop, because Tonya is going to share with us how to take control of your digital reputation and grow your audience in fun and authentic ways. Tonya is so insightful. I'm so excited about this, uh, this interview. And she really walks the talk. And through her business team, Kubo, she creates strategic social media programs for professional experts, authors, and speakers, focused on helping people build their personal brand, amplify their message, and grow their platform. And Tonya runs the most amazing Facebook group that has everyone so fired up. So yeah, she really encourages others by demonstration. Her people-first approach to community management has driven the success of book launch teams and interest-based Facebook groups of all sizes. Now, Tonya lives in the gorgeous state of California, but works with teams all over the world by virtue of virtual spaces. And I'm so, so looking forward to our conversation today, where we'll be getting into the business of online challenges, but also diving into the broader ideas around building online communities. Tonya is literally a champion of communities, and I'm really thrilled to have her with us here today. Tonya, welcome to the Leverage Business Podcast. How are you? Oh my gosh, thank you for that lovely introduction. I am doing well. Great. So let me frame our conversation today. We're first going to talk a little bit about the broad issues and the principles of online community building and how you got into this. I'm really intrigued, you know, what led you to this point. And then we're going to dive into online challenges specifically. And then if I may, I'd love to quiz you a bit about how you personally create leverage in your business. Oh, sounds great. Good, good. So lots to cover. Let's first talk about online communities because, uh, Tonya, you really are an online communities evangelist, self-professed. And I love what you say in your bio about who you help, what you help them with and why. So let me relay that to everyone first and then you can unpack it for us. Mm -hmm. So you help message-driven writers, experts and entrepreneurs to grow highly engaged groups so they can stop counting followers and start connecting with the followers who count. So what's your secret source for doing that? Well, you know, The secret sauce is really understanding that social media 
is supposed to be social. And that's why people love online communities. We're always looking for connection with other people. Hopefully people who think about the same way we think, have the same sort of values, and you can find those people in well-orchestrated online communities. So that's what we focus on. We, we look at the people. We don't focus too much on algorithms and sort of how to game a system. It's really looking at the person in front of us going, you know what, if we're here as leaders, then we love our people. And so let's act like it. And let's interact with them no different than if we were at the community center or at a cocktail party. That's great. I mean, give us some insights here. You know, what does that look like in practical terms on the ground, so to speak? Yeah, so let's let's just say we're in a community together, you and me, Jay. Mm-hmm. And it might mean that you, there's an introduction post, right? And you say, hey, you know what? I focus on leveraged business strategies. And I go, wow, maybe I don't even know what that means. And I say, oh, you know what? And that sounds really interesting to me, Jay. Could you tell me a little bit more about what you do? Just like if we were at a cocktail party and we met, you know, we bumped over the punch bowl and I would say, tell me a little bit more about what you do. And you would casually tell me a little bit about what you do. You might ask me what I do. We might talk about whether we have children, whether we're partnered, where we live, The problem that happens in online communities where they start to feel forced is when people come on too strong, too fast. I always talk about like, okay, do you really, really want a French kiss right when you open the door? Probably not. (laughs) So let's not go into an online community and be like, hey, hey, you know what? I'm a business consultant. Does anybody need a free coaching session? Do you need this? Do you need that? I'm here. Hey, I've got this free guide for you. Like take a breather, introduce yourself and get to know people and look for some common ground. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And in fact, another thing that you talk about is how you are interacting with strangers and and thinking about that first connection, really. And and it's actually the same in any community, isn't it? Is that how you network and not being the pushy salesman type. So uh, I really love that, definitely. What kind of platforms are we talking about here, though? I mean, is it mostly Facebook or, or what? Yes, I'm so glad you asked that because I have a reputation as a Facebook groups expert, but in the course of serving clients, I have found that Facebook is not always the best place to host your online community. For instance, I have a few clients who are in the public health space. So here in the U.S., if you work in public health, typically you work for a state or federal agency and Facebook is a block site at your workplace. So if you tried to have a Facebook support group, for instance, you wouldn't be able to access that during work. You would have to do that evenings and weekends. That doesn't make sense for you. So our public health folks really like Mighty Networks. It has the security that makes sense for state and government agencies. And also what people like about Mighty Networks is it's a little easier to ensure HIPAA compliance, which is a law that we have here in the United States um, for medical privacy. So, you know, that's one example. Uh, there's some live events that I support that we have found are much more successful using a Slack community over a Facebook community. It's been tested. And what we found with the audience, they really struggle to pay attention to the online like video stream and have a Facebook group up because Facebook has so many different distractions, right? You get a messenger ping, you find out your old college roommate just got remarried. So with Slack, 
there's no other distraction. You're just on the Slack space to interact with other people who are also at the same live event. So those are a couple of different platforms. If you want to talk emerging platforms, we can talk about that. But I would say um, for the most part, you really have to look at your business, your industry, and where your ideal person hangs out. And then see what your community options are there. Yeah, I, I think that's um, there's so many platforms, aren't there, that uh, at least that mm-hmm. gives you a sense of it actually doesn't matter about the platform itself. It's, you know, necessarily what functions it gives to to your mm-hmm. to your group. So, um, I mean, particularly for listeners who don't know what Slack is, Slack is a mm-hmm. dedicated online forum, right, with threads of discussions and things like that. Yeah, well, and Slack specifically, it's really not even meant for community, right? It's it's an instant messaging platform that workplaces tend to use to minimize the amount of time you have to walk to other people's offices, just ask a quick question. Um, it's just for a certain audience, all corporate, all professional, it has worked for a series of live events. Facebook, I, you know, I typically will talk to people about Facebook simply because half the world's population already has an active account. And for many of us, it's one click over. So that's why I find like Facebook groups work really well. To your point though, at the end of the day, if you build really strong relationships, you can drive your audience almost any place. And if they're hungry for connection with you to go a little deeper with you, they're going to follow. And I think that's so important because there's a lot of debate uh, I hear amongst uh, people around having something within a dedicated platform, say for their online group program. So mm-hmm. they say they've got a, you know, they're using a, a learning platform. The big debate is whether or not to use the discussion forum within the learning platform mm-hmm. or use Facebook, because that's actually where everyone hangs out and people don't want two different groups. So you've really spoken to that um, in particular, I think. And, and you have to test it out, don't you? I think as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think that's what you teach a lot of too, is it, everything has to be a test. Right. Because we can read articles all day long and we can read reports about what works for the big, large corporations. But that doesn't mean it's going to work for us and our business. It's really just giving us a starting point. Absolutely. So a lot of our listeners are perhaps more active on LinkedIn than Facebook or or other Mm -hmm. platforms. Is that a platform you can expect success with in the sense of building an online community? Yeah. So LinkedIn's interesting because LinkedIn has a groups function. Uh, When I worked for a university, I managed all their LinkedIn groups for about five years. The problem, of course, is half the world's population is on Facebook. And so Facebook has really driven the user's standard of what a group should be, what, what should be available in a group, how we interact in a group. And LinkedIn's technology isn't there yet. And so what people oftentimes talk about is that LinkedIn groups tend to have no value right? Like everybody's there. They're not well moderated, first of all, and that's on the group owner. So what I would say is you can have an incredible LinkedIn group. You can have a highly engaged LinkedIn group, but you've got to be willing to invest the time to make that space valuable to the people who are there. And if you don't have that time, then you know what I love about LinkedIn is little community like relationships develop even in the feed you know, there's now kind of a process you can go through where you decide who you're following and that becomes its own little group, maybe, you know, 25 to 50 people, but you get connected. And I've seen referrals take place in that kind of environment. 
Yeah, totally true. And in fact, you know, I'm going to do a whole podcast episode on LinkedIn as a strategy. And in fact, I think it probably could be another mini series because there's so much to dig into about how going back to what you said right at the beginning, Tonya, about how you first make those connections and not going in selling. Because I think LinkedIn has become a little bit of a scary place when you know where you you don't want to accept a connection because you think they're going to sell to you straight away and mm-hmm. uh, yeah I definitely think we need to dive into that but um what was really interesting was something um that I also that I read and I'm not sure if it was on your LinkedIn page in fact that what you've learned is the key to engagement is aligning with who you are online with who you are in real life and I really liked that because I think sometimes particularly on LinkedIn we tend mm-hmm. to be not quite ourselves we tend to be put our professional hat on tell us a little yes. bit about about that and how you would kind of you know move into that blended you space. know oh I love that well so part of it is I, I think maybe five years ago right people start talking about personal branding right and like sure. you, you've got to brand yourself even if you're a professional you work for a corporation like to brand yourself in your career and so people started thinking wow I've got to be stage ready all the time on social media. That's not really what it means. So part of it is deciding who you want to be, but you can't just decide, Hey, you know, even though I'm an introvert who likes to eat cookies in bed and read a book all night long, I'm going to pretend to be super extroverted, right? Because that's going to be exhausting and social media is not going to be sustainable, whether it's LinkedIn or anywhere else. So what you have to look at is like, okay, so who am I? What do I want to be known for professionally? And then be that person so that there's not a disconnect. Uh, Something that I've talked about before is when I first decided, hey, I'm I'm going to be um, speaking, I'm going to be writing, and I'm going to be talking about these certain topics. I went and I hired a web designer and they did what every good web designer does, right? They ask you all the questions like, who do you serve? What do you do? And, you know, and at that time, my client base was 100% Christian authors, right? Like I had a public sector job, but privately that was my client base. So I said that. And based on the website I got, you could tell that the web designer went out, kind of Googled, Christian authors, Christian speakers. And what I got were, was a website with pastels and women walking through fields of flowers. And if you spend five minutes with me, you know, that is not who I am. Yeah. Okay. I am not a pastel person. I really am not a big fan of nature. Like I like nature if it stays in its place. And I like to stay inside an air conditioned building. That's my idea of a good time. And so when I looked at the website, there was this part of me that's like, well, I guess if that's who I have to be. And then this other part of me that was like, if that's who I have to be, I'm good. You know what? I can just go be a ghostwriter. That sounds like fun because I, this is not me. And so we have to think about that. Like, is it you? So think about your profile picture, for instance, recently, and I can give you this information if, um, if you want to Jay, but there, there was a woman named Carla New and she had a, her profile picture change went viral on LinkedIn. LinkedIn even featured it. And she's a woman of color and her profile page was, uh, her hair was relaxed and it was just your stereotypical woman professional, right? Blazer suit, her hair's relaxed. She's made up everything. Well, she had decided to spend a little more time on LinkedIn and decided that she wanted to be more authentic. And she had stopped relaxing her hair for years and she had natural hair. And so she posted that, you know, she, so she changed her profile picture, something that was much more current, much more natural. And she posted about 
that conflict of women of color with natural hair versus relaxed hair and what's a professional presence and what's not. And we're talking like 350,000 like reactions in a single 24 hour period. LinkedIn weighed in on it and shared it. And it developed this entire conversation about cultural norms, workplace practices, dress codes, all of this stuff. But none of that would have happened if Carla didn't say, you know what? I'm tired of pretending that I'm somebody I'm not. I'm tired of using this 10-year-old picture. Like, I'm just going to show the world who I am now. Even though LinkedIn is a professional space, you can still do that there. And you can do that on all of your platforms. Just because Instagram trends a little bit younger doesn't mean you need to put your hair up in a ponytail if you're not a ponytail person. I love that. It's just such a great story. And it's funny because we were just before we got on this episode, we were talking about our hair and I said, I'll pin mine up today because it needs a wash. That is who I am. I have to be, I have to be totally authentic. And I want to go out for a walk later. So I'm not going to wash my hair, then go out for a walk and then need to wash it again. So it's so funny. And and I think one of the biggest things I had uh, trouble with, um, with my visibility challenge that I gave myself last year was actually just being able to be myself and and stand in my space and so I think it's not just about what you look like either but it's the fact that people are attracted for what you stand up for and I and I love that and I think that has to be the basis of online community building because people they don't come for the topic they come for you ultimately they come exactly and they stay for you because of the vibe Mm -hmm. or just because they they trust you that authenticity I think builds tremendous trust so that story is brilliant and it's not just about going viral is it it's it's just about standing in your space at the end of the day and if that's not personal branding (laughs) I don't know what is I mean wow well and it's such you know to the point about viral, right? Like we all know viral is a huge spike up and a huge spike down. It's not sustainable, but it does give you a sense of where people are at. And I think right now, especially over the last year where everybody has been online, whether they want to be or not, there's a deeper appreciation for people who show up in an authentic way. And I'm not talking about raw, right? Like, you know, you You don't have to air your dirty laundry. You don't have to make your problems, your audience's problems, but just to be able to be true to who you are, true to your message and true to whatever your heart is for who you serve and how you serve them. Totally, totally. And that's a neat segue into my next question, which uh, let me just preface it a little bit. I I know you've got a fantastic sanity saving checklist for social media, a bit of a tongue twister. Um, And I'm going to share the link for that in a sec. And what you're helping people with is cut your exposure to toxic media and still get your work done. And that's a lot of what we're talking about with this authenticity. So I think a lot of people are getting quite frustrated with the the pretenders and the, you know, the, the influencers and their poses and their, you know, are they really like that? So I think how, how do you help people take what's good on social media, to use your words, and leave the bad out? Right. Well, in, in the case of the checklist, I just give you a bunch of tools to hide the stuff you don't want to see. Um, because, you know, part of it is, and the audience I tend to work with actually resents social media. And that's why they come to me right? Mm -hmm. They come to me because everybody has said, you have to do this. Don't you ever do that or else. And they've tried it. They're exhausted. They're bitter. They feel like social media is getting in the way of what they're really meant to do. So they come to me very apologetic, their heads hung down. I'm sorry. (laughs) I know I should do this, but, and I'm the person who says, okay, if you hate it that much, you have my permission to not do it. 
but maybe you could tell me a little bit more about what you hate and maybe we can make it work. And so what I hear time and time again is, you know, I know I have to go and post on Facebook, but you know, I've got this weird uncle and I've got this aunt. And if I post this, then my mother-in-law says something. And so I created a checklist that basically teaches you how can you control what you see on a newsfeed? And so that's Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, anything. And then how do you control who sees what you post? Because so many of us use any tech tool, but especially social media for whatever we've learned to use it for. So we don't know all the features that exist. You know, a lot of people don't know that you can post something on Facebook and just make it visible to a small population of people or visible to everybody, but exclude a small population of people. Got it. So that, I mean, that's a a lovely gift for you all. Her sanity saving checklist for social media and the link to grab that is super easy. It's tonya.link forward slash survival. Tonya, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background, if you don't mind. I don't want the whole what do you do, (laughs) but I want to know what brought you to doing this kind of work. You know, it's funny is I rarely get asked that question. And I'm so glad you asked it because if you meet me now, like many people, you probably assume like I am social media super fan and I've always loved social media and I was one of those early adopters, but that is not true. You know, I, I graduated college in 99. I have no problem dating myself. I'm quite happy to be alive, but I graduated college in 99 and that's when I got my first cell phone. And, you know, I was that college kid who used the computer labs. I didn't have my own computer. So how I got here was I worked for a newspaper and right out of college. And I worked for a newspaper for almost 10 years. And during my time at the newspaper, newspapers went really high, were really successful. They started to tank. And there was one day in early 2000s where the publisher came over to me and he was like, so what do you know about this MySpace thing? And I was like, MySpace? I I don't know. I think that's something kids do these days. And he's like, well, I heard businesses are getting involved. Go check that out for me. And I dove into MySpace back then. And it led this whole online sort of engagement strategy that the newspaper was trying to do in those early days. Then fast forward to when I was working at a university, I was there for six months and they found out I didn't have a Facebook account, right? Because I'm like, well, isn't that for college kids? And they're like, yeah, you work at a college campus. If you want to hang out, like if you want to interact with college kids, if you want to do your job effectively, you need a Facebook account. So I got a Facebook account and I was just every bit as resentful is probably your most resentful listener right now. It's like, (laughs) seriously, I'm an adult. I'm 30. Like I need to do this. But what happened was within three months time, I saw my biggest problem as a public relations professional dissolve. My biggest problem as a public relations professional was access. I was constantly having to break my way through gatekeepers, right? If I wanted to connect a a reporter with a research professor. I had to get through the reporter's editorial desk. I had to get through the research professor's school. Like I had to get through their dean and their assistant and all that stuff. And social media gave me a direct link. Awesome. And then I realized that link went both ways. Mm. People could access me as the social media manager directly. And so the university was no longer this nameless, faceless meanie that canceled my courses. It became Tanya as a representative of the university and Tanya takes care of me. And I got addicted, Jay. I got addicted to being able to have that level of efficiency in such a relationship focused world. So you've taught access and now efficiency, but 
is it not also just all about connection? Well, exactly. I mean, isn't the most efficient way to get anything done to develop a connection? Yeah. And it comes back then to that personal interaction and that authenticity and mm-hmm. um, yeah, and just opening opening up those possibilities of of meeting up with people that you perhaps wouldn't ordinarily bump into on campus. Exactly. Or wouldn't dare speak to maybe. Yeah. yeah. Right. And if you think about uh, like social media crises, right? Like reputational crises online, most of those occur because people forgot to be good humans in one way or another, either the, a lot of times they happen with corporations, right? Because the corporation is big and started just getting too cold in their response to something and other people get their feelings hurt right because social media feels very personal it feels very direct and so if you can just take a breath and go okay if this person was sitting across from me how would I respond if we were on the phone how would I respond I would use manners I would probably listen to you Jay I would listen to you even if you were really angry with me I would listen so that you were heard but also to understand what the real challenge was for you, right? It's like, okay, so is your real challenge here that you're out $200 because your flight got delayed or is the real challenge the time you missed? And then once I got to that, then I can really connect with you, right? I can be like, wow, you lost three days in all this travel craziness. I can't give you those three days back. What can I do for you? And that so links to customer service at the end of the day mm-hmm. doesn't it I mean that empathy that putting yourself in their shoes and and working collaboratively to find a solution sounds by I mean mm-hmm. I think that's just something else that you're really really good at um, from our interactions we've had um, you know so far so I, I, I like the fact that we've, we're kind of thinking about online communities now as mm-hmm. you know serving your people serving your mm-hmm. your potential customers and, and clients um I love that and I, I also what I took away from that is don't blame the medium for being a jerk <laughs> yeah so true <laughs> just don't be a jerk <laughs> yeah exactly it's okay. like it's not Facebook's fault that somebody let their um poor judgment shine to the world right Facebook just provided the vehicle to let all of us see their poor judgment. Totally, totally. So let's um, let's dive now into online challenges. It's very popular right now, isn't it? So let's do this, if you like, as a quick fire round of questions. Ooh, see I like quick fire rounds. <laughs> yeah, I know you're good for that. <laughs> so tell us, what is an online challenge and why are people doing them? Okay, so online challenges are at their most basic level, it's it's a strategy where you get a lot of people. So a lot of leads all come in at the same period of time and you take a very short burst of activity toward a goal that everybody wants. So everybody is falling along to a shared destination. Most online challenges are three to about 21 days. Some go longer, but to be most effective, we found three days to, I would say 10 days max tends to work. So why are online challenges so popular? Well, I feel like on the consumer side, online challenges are really popular because I have huge optimism on what I can accomplish. And the shorter the period of time, chances are the more successful I'm going to be, right? You tell me it's, uh, I have to drink three gallons of water a day. I can drink three gallons of water a day for five days. 
30 days, maybe not, right? But the five-day <laughs> water challenge, I'm on board. Interesting and, example. <laughs> you know, and we think, because you see these things all the time, right? And you're like, okay, so I'm not allowed to eat sugar for how long? Like what? But we tell ourselves, I can do that for a short period of time. And I get to be with other people. Misery loves company, right? So I'm with all these other people trying to figure out how to drink all this water because awesome. you know maybe the people I live with think I'm crazy. So that's the consumer side. They're exciting. There's a lot of energy. There's a lot of fun. And even if there's no actual tangible prizes, there's a lot of wins built in, right? You made it to day two. You made it to day three. From the business owner side, the person who hosts the challenge, it is one of the most effective efficient strategies you can ever employ because the nature of an online challenge is going to be huge lead generation in a short period of time, right? Because you've got a defined start and a defined end. So there's that urgency already built in. You build your authority because not only are you bringing in mass numbers of new people into your audience, into your community, but you're teaching because most online challenges involve some measure of teaching. And it doesn't matter whether you're emailing out your training or you're doing videos, but you're teaching. And so you've now established your authority in this space. Even if you're brand new, you're an expert to all these brand new people who have now just been introduced to you. And online challenges convert really well because in the process of the challenge, the people who are like, Meh, you're not really for me, or you know what? I thought I wanted this thing, but I don't want clear skin so badly that I will drink three gallons of water. My limit's one gallon of water. Those people start to fall off so that by the end of the challenge, who you're left with are really highly qualified leads. And it tends to convert, you know, especially if you're leading them into a program, your conversions can be quite higher. I mean, I've seen conversions as high as 15%. Um, obviously, the larger the population of people in your challenge, generally speaking, the the lower the percentage, right? Because people don't have as much access to you. But still, I mean, a five, six percent conversion rate on a challenge is still pretty good. That's I mean, that's super interesting because, of course, um, one of the metrics that you might use is how many people stay throughout the whole challenge. But actually what you're mm -hmm. saying is a pretty good thing if they fall off, because that means they're not right for your for your ultimate uh, offer at the end of the challenge. Right. Exactly. And I mean, as far as like on a, say, a five-day challenge, it's not uncommon to be at 50% on day three. Because day three is usually when the rubber meets the road on the journey you're taking them on, right? Yeah. They have to really do the hard work. But I have seen challenges that have really held steady all the way through to the end. And then at the end, and what I find so interesting is those people become super fans. Like, yeah. I've they have that. become close and connected to you just in five days. And it comes back again, not to just that you're teaching and it becomes your, you know, you, you're raising your visibility and your authority. Mm -hmm. It's also yeah. that you're showing up in that authentic way that we talked about mm -hmm. before. So uh, it kind of uh, hits a number of, of spots, really, doesn't it? Yeah. So, next question. What kind of business or audience does it suit the most? Mm, that's really a good question. So. I'm, I'm the type of person who likes to break down strategies and go, okay, if you look at this in its most bare form, here's all the different ways you have seen it manifest. So, you know, something that I have done for years is I have helped authors with book launches and book launches really are, they follow a challenge model. It's a little bit of a longer lead time, but it's the same thing. So I think when you're looking at 
can I do an online challenge? The first thing you have to be aware of is at its most basic level, do you teach something or do your, does your audience want to accomplish something that they can experience a win in a short period of time with consistent activity? Like, can you get them a really good, valuable win in five to seven days? And some people do three-day challenges and, and that's an option too. If your answer is yes, right? Then you go, okay, so I can get them excited about this thing. Then is challenge the right word? Because when most people come to me and they say, I can't do challenges, you don't understand, like my topic's really serious. And it's like, okay, well then don't call it a challenge. Because that's the, the other misnomer, I think, is people go, okay, well, in order to be a challenge, it has to be called a challenge. Well, a detox is a challenge, right? 21 days sugar detox, that's a challenge. Short period of time, shared goal, racing to the finish line. Dare, I, I participated in a dare once. I participated in a, a game, which was just a challenge. I mean, there are so many different labels you can use that align the activity with your audience. So what I would say though, the key is you've got to be able to take them somewhere in this short period of time that's a valuable place. So if you're a fiction writer, an online challenge might be a little more difficult. So you might have to go, okay, well, I can't actually take them on a challenge for my book unless it's, hey, let's read the whole trilogy in a week. Maybe that's practical, maybe that's not. But I would say for most of us who teach a method or a framework, regardless of our audience, we can convert into a challenge. Sure. And so if you don't want to avoid falling flat on our face with running an online challenges, uh, what, what would be the main sort of success keys for, for planning out a perfect challenge? So the number one mistake people make, too much information. See, we think, oh my gosh, okay, we're going to do this challenge. And I, it, it's all insecurity is where it comes from, right? I want people to know that I know a lot. I want them to know my stuff so that they buy my program at the end or they become my, my client at the end. And so we pack and we pack and we pack. And the most successful online challenges take something that's very small, but also very valuable and just pick that off that one little objective and get them there. So one challenge that I helped with was, um, or that I led was about, went to an online course program, right? So you could take this course and you could, or you could take this program and you could build your own online course. So what? would be the biggest problem for somebody who might be considering that that course. Well, one of the biggest problems are they might they might go I want an online course but I don't know what I teach. So the challenge just focused on getting them one course topic. And over 5 days they were walked through the idea of what they felt like their strengths were, who they wanted to help, to what would be a really solid idea for an online course for this population. Now, to you or me that may seem really small. But you think about it, if the person got to the end of the challenge and they had a clear idea of what their course would be, well, the number one objection of getting into the course creation program is removed. And they're likely going to be even more successful in that program because they have some foundational work done. But they felt good about it. They didn't feel like they were given prerequisites, right? They felt like they participated in the game. Totally. It's, it's, uh, it's really interesting because actually... Um, it's made me think that the online challenge is, is probably helping people get unstuck on that, that very first starting point. And, mm -hmm. and after that, they can start flying. And I, and I love that concept. So thinking around where do your people get stuck 
that I can help them through that then the next step is is to keep going and, and work with mm-hmm. me on my my thing whatever it is your offer and I think that, that you've actually answered a lot of the questions that, that I had within some of your other answers so I'm going to jump to they say fortune is in the follow-up right so mm-hmm. what happens after the challenge you know taking these people through yes some of them have dropped off um, but the ones you've got you know the real great ones what do you do next with them what's the best practice oh my gosh I love that okay so because this is this is the other place where we tend to fail right when we go oh the online challenge didn't work for me because we get through the online challenge and it's tiring it's tiring to be teaching every day if you're if that's what you're doing to be doing the live q a so it can be exhausting for you and there's this temptation to be like okay the challenge is over cart's open on my program i'm going to go sleep for three days but you do need to care for these new people you need to nurture them and so one thing that I always recommend doing is you have to have a post-challenge plan. Like, what are you going to do with all your new people? So one thing that's relatively easy is some kind of thank you, right? About three days after the challenge ends, you can send folks a thank you. And it can be a lead magnet of yours. It can be a download. It might be a, a video training. I have seen people even invite challenge participants to a special workshop, But something that says, thank you for giving me a week of your time, or thank you for giving me however much of your time, and let's celebrate you and your successes. So that's one way to to sort of deepen that relationship, because you know, as well as anybody listening, they may not buy your offer now, but how you treat them does affect how willing they might be to buy your offer the next time around. And so we want to really invest in that relationship. Something else that people will do um, is you know, offer to sell their challenge recordings. Not everybody wants the program, but if the challenge itself was really valuable, you can sell that as a workshop. You can just sell your recordings, right? And I've seen them go from anywhere from like $47. Some people sell them for a hundred. It really depends on what your end offer is. But, you know, just putting that in the back of your mind going, okay, if this goes really well, I could package this up and sell this as an offer. I think add some motivation for you to really show up and serve well and people see that difference. So the main thing that I would say is just, you want to make sure that you have a plan in place to care for all these new leads, whether they buy your main offer or not after the challenge. And what I usually do is they're, they're on their own little journey for a couple of weeks. And then I bring them into my newsletter list and then they, they get nurtured that way with the rest of my audience. Awesome. Yeah. Fantastic advice. Um, Cause I think, yeah, that's the, that's the piece is don't be disappointed if um, you know, you don't get all of the people signing up for your program at the end of the challenge, because there's other ways to interact with them, keep nurturing them, you know, bring them into your list. So I uh, totally love that. And again, it's, as you said, it's about showing up, isn't it? It's, it's mm-hmm. showing up even when they don't buy um, and celebrating, right. celebrating the journey that they've just been on together. And that certainly was my experience of online challenge. I've done a couple as a participant um, and mm-hmm. the best ones really have that kind of nurturing, uh, serving um, approach for sure. So just take a step back. If someone's thinking, okay, an online challenge sounds like good return on investment, right? Intense, mm-hmm. but um, you know, maybe there's an impact uh, from that and not just in monetary terms, but in terms of your, your presence and your visibility and your, your credibility. But if you were starting from scratch, you know, go back to your pre-Facebook days, mm-hmm. 
and you haven't got a lot of social media going on you don't have a big following how would you how would you start that would an online challenge be something you do after you build your following or do you use it to build your following well i i mean the answer is both but let's since the question is really like what do you do when you're starting from scratch you know let's start there and say that you can build your following from zero using online challenges uh now you can do the paid advertising method, which I don't recommend because I feel like social media advertising only works really well if you already have a functioning funnel. And if you're just starting out, you don't exactly have your messaging quite aligned to your audience because nobody's had an opportunity to respond. But you can use an online challenge to test your messaging, to test your positioning, to see, okay, this is who I think is attracted to my message. Let's see who really is. So then the question is, if I'm just starting out, how do I get people into my challenge? Well, I think the first thing you do is ask yourself, who do you know who could potentially be successful in your challenge, who could be interested and really build out the network and say, I'm, I'm, getting, I'm doing a free challenge. This is, this is how it's going to be. I would love to have your support. If there's anybody you know that would want to participate, please you know, just let them know. I think if you're starting out, three to four weeks lead time for promotion of your challenge is really good. If you have an established audience, two weeks is sufficient. But I did a challenge in February and I fully benefited from every single day of the three weeks of promotional time that I used. And the other thing I will say is be open-minded to what winning looks like when you're just starting out. So I have a client starting from scratch. She's done nothing on social media. She's very private. But she decided to do, she was going to do a challenge and then that scared her. And so she said, you know what, I'm just going to do a workshop, but I'm going to, I'm going to follow the challenge model for promoting it and everything. And in five days time, she added 50 people to her email list. Now, 50 people may not sound like a lot to you. It may not sound like a lot to me, but it doubled her list in five Mm. days Mm. and she didn't have to spend any money in advertising. So that that's an example of success starting out. Now, of course, you might say, because you're the leveraged business consultant, you might say, well, that tells me she probably had some potential clients hiding in her midst that she just had never considered. And that's one of those like secret benefits you get from online challenges, because you would be so surprised at who jumps in. And you're, you're kind of like looking like I had no idea you had any interest in what I did. Good point. But there's just something about the messaging that resonates. Yeah, yeah. And I think what's interesting as well, I've spoken to, you know, several people about this is how, you know, the pandemic, if you like, has shifted how we, Mm -hmm. how we show up online and how we, how we behave online and how we connect with people or not. Some people Mm -hmm. have kind of withdrawn and others have, you know, gone full out. What's your sense of, of what people's needs are in online communities right now? Yeah, so I always find it interesting in what I hear everybody is doing and everybody wants and everybody's tired of, and then what I, how I see people behave. Um, my audience tends to be aspirational, which means I, I always say my audience is very honest. They don't lie. However, they tend to answer questions based on what they think you want them to say, right? That, that they are, they tend to be a little people pleasers. And um, I always say they're A plus plus students. They don't want to let their teacher down. So I hear that people are tired and Zoom fatigue and all these things, but I have not seen a reduction in attendance in the events that I've participated in. And I think what it, what really has happened in the last year is we have all gotten a lot more savvy 
to what a good online experience is compared to a bad online experience. You know, two years ago, if you had a special medical condition, you would probably be so hungry for community around that medical condition. Let's say you had a brain tumor, right? You'd be so hungry for community around having this brain tumor. You might join a bunch of different support groups and, and just hungry to meet people. Now, you're probably, you may still join a bunch of them, but you're going to pair them out really quickly. And you're going to probably stick with one that really meets you right where you're at. Mm. And it's like, yeah, those other five were fine, but I don't have time for five so-so groups. I have time for one really good, useful group. And so I think that's the change that I've seen. And I've seen people, and they have less patience with bad tech right now, because there's an expectation that you as the professional, Jay, have figured out Zoom. You have figured out how to set up your meeting so that everybody is muted upon entry. And so as long as, just like when we talk about online communities, I talk a lot about a prepared environment, right? Making sure that when you join my community, you feel like I have been waiting for you all along. Love that. Right? You don't feel like you're a party crasher. Just like that, we've got to do the same thing with our Zoom meetings, with any virtual event that we do. We want people to feel like we were expecting them, even if they decided at the last minute to show up, and even if they brought two friends, we're prepared. And I, I think as well that speaks to, you know, back to strategy. And, you know, we feel like I harp on and on and on about strategy, but it is about getting super clear on who your audience is and what your message is, so that you are then attracting those people. So preparedness in that sense as well, mm -hmm. I think, sir. You know, it goes back to a number of things that you've talked about. I mean, that's really good. And I mean, really good groups, not so-so groups. Um, I guess if people want to make sure I want to run a really good group, not mm -hmm. a so-so group, where can people go to get help with that kind of thing? Is that is that what you do? Is that, you know, is there a course yeah. on it? That, that is exactly what I do. And I have a free Facebook group where I teach that. Um, and uh, I think you have the link, but it's tanya.link forward slash group. I always tell people I'm not very creative. I'm so I just stick with clear. If I can be clear on my Super labels, clear. that'll work. I'll put that uh, link in the show notes. So yeah, we will. Yeah. Uh... And in the Facebook group, we talk about these things. We talk about the hard parts of community management, which if this sounds like you just know you're not alone. I feel like I'm the only person who posts in my group, right? That's a common concern when people join. How do I get engagement? Um, sometimes what we find is you need a better framework in your group, like your group lacks structure. Uh, maybe you just started a group one day because people told you to start a group. That happens all the time. Like I've gone to conferences where somebody stands at the front of the room, there's 200 people and they say, if you don't have a Facebook group, you're missing the boat. And everybody starts creating a Facebook group with no clue why, how, what for, <laughs> right? They don't know who they want. They just followed instructions. So I always recommend, you know, a very clear group description that clearly articulates the promise. If you join my group, you will get this and then fulfill your promise. And I think the hardest thing, especially if we're nice, we don't want to make any enemies. And so we have a hard time having rules. We want everybody to play nicely together. And as a group leader, you need to have rules and you need to be willing to enforce them. And so like in my group, because of the personality I have, I just tell people, I say, you know, these are the rules and this is the cost of free. I have paid programs. Those paid programs run by a different set of rules, but the cost of free is 
you can't do this here. You can do that. I want to see more of you guys do this. And then I'll lean in because I do a lot of live video in my group. And I'll say, I'm going to tell you right now, if you start sending private messages and spamming people, I will cut you like we are in a back alley. <laughs> that's the scary, that's scary time. Right? And I'm like, I'm never scary. And people go, ha, ha, ha. I think she needs it. But, you know, it's only happened in my own group. It's only happened a couple of times, but it's happened several times in groups that I've managed. And there's one group that I manage. It has like 16,000 people in it. And people were just posting on the feed. Ooh, somebody slimy is doing some icky stuff. Who else is getting spammed here? And I got a private message and said, I don't know if you know this, but this person is doing this thing. And I was like, okay, that's no problem. They're out. Zero you know, tolerance. Block them from the group. Move, yeah, zero tolerance. Paul. I am so nice. Yeah. I have the longest, longest fuse. But when you are predatory toward my members in my group, you you get no more, no more good graces for you. But what was interesting in this particular group, because everybody was so public about their displeasure, but only one person privately reached out to me and told me what was happening. So nobody told me the name or anything. So then I commented, I said, I am so sorry that happened. That person is no longer here. We have taken care of it. There's a zero tolerance policy. Then I got flooded like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, you actually care about our experience. And I was like, well, yeah, that's why we're here. But you know, people only know what they've already experienced. And so they were like, well, I'm in so many groups and I get spam like this all the time. I just thought this was one more group like that. And I'm like, not on my watch. Yeah, I love that. Fantastic. Let's dive into your leverage strategy and the final part of this. Um, what would you summarize as being the three things that you've done to create leverage in your business? Obviously, online communities is a really big part of that. What else um, would you say? So the, um, so I'll tell you what I've kicked and screamed against doing that I finally did is truly listening to my audience. I think, you know, I spent a lot of years, like a lot of people taking the programs that told me about surveying my audience, but not really believing the data that I got. And so in the last year, I've really leaned into what folks have said. And so what people tell me is they want me to boss them around. Just tell me what to do, Tanya, and I'll do it. And because I'm a strategist, I want to tell, like, I want to tell people the strategy. They don't actually care. They just want me to tell them the tactic. And so I've leaned away from telling people strategies and going, okay, do this. And if you're, tell me if it works. And if you're curious about why it works, we can have another conversation. So that's one thing is really working hard to meet my audience where they're at and giving them what they want right then while helping them to appreciate what they need later on. My Facebook group, I, you know, I had been managing Facebook groups since 2014 is when I first started managing Facebook groups. I started my own in 2019, and that has become an incredible point of leverage for me. You know, a majority of my private clients come out of my Facebook group. A lot of my business referrals come out of my Facebook group. Uh, so that has been really successful. And the third is what we're doing right here, Jay. It's podcast interviews. Like my super fan, the people I love to work with, listen to podcasts. That's mm. who they are, mm. right? Maybe they watch TV, maybe they don't, maybe they watch YouTube, but they definitely listen to podcasts. And so being interviewed on podcasts with gracious hosts like you is, um, it's actually one of my favorite things. I mean, I can't believe how quickly this time's gone. You've given us so much insight. So definitely my strategy is getting great people like you onto my podcast. 
So my punch question that I ask all my expert mm-hmm. guests, um, and I did pre-warn you a little bit, maybe it follows from what you've just highlighted, in fact, but if you had a superpower for creating even more leverage in your business, what would you choose? I would choose the ability to duplicate myself <laughs> because the only thing that holds me back from all the things I want to do is the fact that I'm only one person. So if there could be five of me, oh my gosh, how much fun would we have? <laughs> Multiplicity. What's coming up for you next in your, in your business world? Yeah. So I recently launched a membership. So speaking of, you know, fighting your audience, but my folks really want to do things right and they don't have confidence. So I created a a membership. It comes with every month they get a social media posting calendar. They get some prompts so that they can customize that calendar to their business. But then what we also do is we do a deep dive workshop into what's changing on social media what to pay attention to, what to ignore, and then how to apply it based on your target audience. I like that because it's meeting people where they're at every single day. Mm-hmm. It's sort of shifting and changing and things come up. And uh, yeah, people don't always know how to uh, how to get around some of the things that, that come up in, in a social media um, environment. So what, what's the best place that people can go check you out or get in contact? They can go to the links. group. Yeah. yeah, the group tanya.link slash group is a great place to connect with me. They can connect with me on LinkedIn or go to tanyakubo.com. Brilliant, tanyakubo.com. I'll put that in the show notes as well. So any parting wisdom you want to leave our listeners with? Oh my gosh. So I, I would say, you know, because this is an episode about leverage, this is a podcast about leverage. I, I would encourage you to think hard about not so much all the things you can do, but what are the things that bring you the highest level of impact? And if those things involve being in front of a group of like-minded people, then maybe online communities is something to consider. And you don't have to start your own if you don't want to. You can get huge results just by being an amazing group member. So find some good groups and just work on being a good human inside those groups and develop relationships from there. Brilliant. I mean, I've learned so much today. I've actually been writing notes. Isn't that cool? Thank you so, so much for joining me and sharing some uh, brilliant advice and tips and experiences and stories. Tanya Kubo, everyone. So let's show Tanya some love and appreciation by leaving a review for the podcast on iTunes. And if you have specific questions, um, you can submit those on my website at jallison.com forward slash podcast forward slash QA. Thank you so much, Tanya. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. It's been my honor, Jay. I appreciate being able to talk to your listeners today. Lovely. Thank you. Have fun. You have a great day. Thank you. Yeah, have a great weekend, in fact. Thank you for listening to the Leverage Business Podcast. Want to create leverage in your business? Did this episode provide some insights and ideas to be thinking through? If so, subscribe so you get alerts when the next one's released. If you want to learn more or would like help and support with building a leveraged business that achieves true freedom for you, then head over to jallison.com forward slash podcast to find all the resources and links that go with this show on my website and to join our iSuccess community. And if you're enjoying our content, it would be great if you could pop into Apple Podcasts or the app you listen from and leave me a rating and review. Everyone makes a difference to improving our rankings. So thank you if you've done that already. I appreciate you. So hey, that's it. Thank you for listening. I hope you've loved this episode and have some great takeaways to be thinking through. I wish you a pleasant, productive and profitable week. 
and I'll see you again next time for another episode of the Leverage Business Podcast.